Hello, and welcome to Sounds from the Shelves. I'm Mika. I'm Sarah. And I'm Lee. And today, we have a new segment for you. Yay! Yay! So we are starting a new segment that we will run every month. We're calling it Read This. You don't actually have to read these things. This isn't a demand. But Read This was the best title we could come up with. So we're running with it. So here to give us some recommendations related to today's episode, we have our friend Stephanie. Stephanie, do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, hi. Uh, My name's Stephanie Novak. I'm a library assistant at Granite Library. In addition to my work at Granite, I'm also part of our Reader's Advisory Committee, where we take every book its reader very seriously and try our best to give you great recommendations, should you ever come to us. By the way, any library staff will do that because we love it. It's the best part of the job. So, I'm here helping to celebrate the best month, Women's History Month. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's the best. This is my jam. It's what I read all the time. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So there's a ton of books out there by incredible women authors and a ton of books out there talking about history. Uh, One of my favorite authors and one that I will recommend to the day I die as long as she doesn't mess up on a book, but Mallory Amira, you can't do it. You're amazing. Uh, Incredible historian, best-selling author. She has used her work to dig up stories of women in underrepresented fields. Her most recent book, Girly Drinks, actually is an exploration of women in the distillery business, in the creation of alcohol and running bars and everything that, you know, that entails and asking the question, when did drinking become so gendered? And even before that, Mallory O'Meara's previous book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, is an incredible exploration of Millicent Patrick, the woman who actually designed the infamous creature from the Black Lagoon, and is fabulous. It is an exploration to this history that is accessible and engaging, and at many times very funny. Some other great ways, women have not always had the rights that we have had, so one way to celebrate Women's History Month is to remind ourselves we haven't always had these abilities. Uh, Some great books, especially if you're talking about the right to vote, include books like The Woman's Hour, The Great Fight to Win the Vote by Elaine Weiss, and Vanguard, How Black Women Broke Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All by Martha S. Jones. Both of these books take a subject that could easily be, you know, really dry, academic, Uh, and makes it incredibly engaging. It's a page turner. The history of women's rights is one that's still being made and making it accessible, engaging is super fun. So definitely check those books out. And in case you have a younger reader in your life, The Woman's Hour has actually had a young reader's adaptation. So you can share it with your littles. Now, that's some of the history. And history is great, by the way. Incredible biographies out there by Patty Smith, one of my favorites. Um, but also there's a ton of great fiction. And I think it goes, fiction is one of those genres that is incredible. There's so many great titles out there, no matter what genre you're reading. If you are a big fantasy reader, I definitely recommend Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. 
it is a tome. It is a commitment. You have to commit to it <laughs> at like over 800 pages. Ooh. But it is engaging and it creates a mythology that is, you know, very much about the women who are part of the story and are making the story and saving the day. So good. Um, if you haven't found your way to romance yet, it's okay. I'm not judging you. It's okay. But I will tell you that romance is one of the most wonderful genres, and there is a reason it is so popular. Alyssa Cole is an author that you should absolutely check out. Uh, if you are a fan of contemporaries, her Reluctant Royals series is fabulous with a ton of incredible characters who you will fall in love with, I guarantee. Plus the fact that like, hey, maybe I am a princess and I didn't know it. It's fabulous. <laughs> Alyssa Cole is also incredible for bringing uh, black women and their love stories to history. She's got a bunch of historical romance series that are well worth checking out if you are a fan of historical fiction. And the reminder that women were there and their stories matter. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, there are so many great nonfiction books for children right now. If you have not found a favorite biography for your little one, I promise you there are so many. Uh, one of my favorites that I discovered a couple of years ago was Joan Proctor, Dragon Doctor, which talks about a woman who was obsessed with lizards and even had her own, uh, you know, dragon, quote unquote, as almost a pet. She's phenomenal. There's also books like um, Planting Stories, The Life of Librarian and Storyteller, Pura Belpre, which is fabulous. If you are a lover of libraries and you do not know who Pura Belpre is, please read this book. It like It's one of those books that you read and you just like burst into tears, but they are happy because this woman made such an incredible mark on libraries as we know them today. And also her legacy lives on in all of the award-winning books of her name. A quick plug here for, you know, actively celebrating it beyond reading, because celebrating Women's History Month is great. One way to do it. This is me. Welcome to Life with Stephanie. <laughs> Play Dungeons and Dragons. Did you know that with the expansion of D&D in pop culture, there are a ton of incredible women out there making phenomenal games? And some of the Wizards of the Coast's most recent materials include uh, anthologies of one-shots. Candlekeep Mysteries, where kind of the premise of each one is that you start in Candlekeep Library, you have a mysterious book that brings you on an adventure. Contributors to that include Kelly Lynn D'Angelo, Hannah Rose, Amy Vorpal, Allison Huang, and Jennifer Kretschmer, who all bring their imagination to the page and help you run a stellar game. In addition, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel, which was led by people of color, both designers and creators and artists, includes some incredible authors there as well, including Serena Marie, Stephanie Yoon, and Aaron Roberts, who will take you on phenomenal adventures in vibrant and delightful settings. So definitely check those out. And in addition, if you love reading and don't just want to read a book, move on to the next one without talking to someone, join a book club or start one. 
Here at Granite Library, we actually host the Feminist Book Club every month, and it always includes stellar conversations and books. The group is designed to be casual and inclusive book group designed for everyone and focuses on intersectional feminism and gender equality. Lively discussions are always promised, as well as incredible books by authors like Miriam Taves, Carmen Marie Machado, and even some graphic novels. March's book is going to be Hyperbole and a Half by Alison Brosh, which is a must-read. Wow, thank you, Stephanie. Now my to-be-read, read, read, read list. <laughs> See? <laughs> Can't talk. Um, it just gets longer and longer. <laughs> and there's so much that I had and didn't mention because there's also Becky Chambers in the sci-fi world, and oh my gosh, it's so good. Anytime you need to talk, I got you. And this is why we brought in Stephanie. Yes. <laughs> this is truly my jam. Like, if you look at my shelves, all the books I mentioned are available here at the county library. But my own personal shelves, a book that changed my world was a book of essays called Women Who Rock. And it was about, uh, it was by women journalists who covered the rock music industry. And like, that book life-changing. I don't know if we have it in the system, but it's beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you, Stephanie, for being here. And everyone look forward. We will have more segments like this coming up with equally excited people. In fact, I'm sure Stephanie will be back at some point to talk to us some more. Very happily. Thank you <laughs> so much, crew, for having me. This was so much fun. So for our main part of our podcast today, we have a guest. Her name is Ashley Finley. And Ashley, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. <laughs> Hello. I am Ashley Finley. I'm currently living in so-called Salt Lake City. And uh, I do a lot of things, but I think I'm here to talk about birth work today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> We're so excited to have you. We thought we'd start with probably the question that most of our listeners will have, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is what is it that you do and how is that different from like a midwife or yeah. an OBGYN? Yeah. So um, I, I'm also a student midwife, which is fun, <laughs> but I am a doula and um, the term doula means helping women. And so what I do is a little bit different because I'm not like a medical or clinical personnel. So a lot of people don't know that midwives are pretty much trained um, in the same things that like OBs are trained in, including reproductive health care outside of birth. The only difference is that they do not get trained in surgery. So I do none of that. <laughs> Instead, I'm more like um, an educational support, but also emotional if you're a spiritual person a spiritual support person we do things like go through birth plans and educate on choices and like reminders about autonomy and what your body is capable of and also just a friend I'm just a friend to be there for when things get hard yeah <laughs> awesome yeah, that is really awesome Thank um you. yeah I love that I was I was reading up on the history and I'm like yeah well, it's just like it's it's almost like sisterhood, you know, right? Um, because sometimes, and I don't know personally. I've just uh, know because people have told me, yeah, that um, being pregnant can be lonely sometimes. Yes. So, yeah, I think that's a really good 
thing to highlight because I feel like pregnant people are in this time in their lives where unless they're directly in contact with so many other pregnant people, right, they're kind of experiencing this really big thing on their own. And people can try to hold space as much as possible. But it's also really nice to have a dedicated person who like, when you see that person, you know that that's what they're there for. You know, they're not right. also your spouse or also your mother, or also your friend from down the street or your coworker. Mm-hmm. When I'm your doula, I'm your doula, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I may have mentioned this before on the podcast. In fact, I'm pretty positive I have. I have a son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like three and a half years old. Oh. Um, when I was pregnant with him, one of my very good friends um, was studying to be a midwife at the time and she acted as my doula Um, and she was really great because she's she's a very opinionated person Mm -hmm. but she was very good at being like I have my opinions Mm -hmm. but you could choose what you want right (laughs) (laughs) definitely that's always Mm -hmm. interesting um and she was really good about like giving me resources so I could find out stuff on my own because I'm definitely the type of person that like I have to investigate all my mm-hmm. options and then make my decision right <laughs> uh librarian hello yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's true <laughs> i'm seeing a trend here <laughs> um how did you fall into this line of work yeah so it's crazy because my i believe that my path and all of like my previous like professional and academic um, lives, I guess, <laughs> kind of did strengthen my ability to be a doula, but they're all like not related whatsoever. So I was working right before I started my business. I was working in higher education. I was doing like diversity and out- diversity outreach and recruitment for for students to come on campus and be part of <laughs> academia. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, And then um, before that, I worked in a genetics lab. And that's when I first heard the term doula. I had um, a coworker who we sat near each other and she was so pregnant. I remember she was already a mom and she was having her second baby and she just was incredibly pregnant. (laughs) And so (laughs) I was always talking to her because... Um, my grandmother was what we call a granny midwife. And so oh, yeah. mm-hmm. she was kind of this uh, person in the American South, the rural American South, who caught babies, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of like had some knowledge about things to help pregnancy and things to help birth. And I would kind of talk to her and always like just wanting to support her and be there for her. And once she asked, she told me, she said, you should be a doula. And I was like, what's a doula? (laughs) You know? (laughs) And she told me, I'm not even going to tell you. I want you to go home, look it up and tell me what you think. And so I did that. And that was right around the time when the CDC dropped um, the literature and the info on the maternal mortality rates for black women. Mm -hmm. Um, which I guess if the audience doesn't know that, um, black women specifically are four times more likely 
to die from pregnancy-related um, complications. And the morbidity rate is um, also, like, at four. Like, so there's, like, the death, and then there's also just, like, the mortality rate, which is death, and then morbidity, which is complications, is also very high. So the CDC had just declared the state of emergency, essentially, on Black women. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. And it took me another four years, but I did it. <laughs> yeah, I am. There's, there's no deadline when you find a passion and you want to follow it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It was really interesting because I'm a person who is, I can tend to be regimented in my goals, right? So I'm like, I have my five-year goal and this doesn't, you know, like fit in that. Um, but a series of events happened where I kind of was like, oh, okay, ancestors, I hear you. And then right. the final event was that I got laid off out of nowhere, like unexpectedly from my job at the institution I was working at. And I just kind of said, okay, I think that's the final sign. Yeah. They're like, um, yeah, we were telling you. <laughs> now we're yelling at you. Right. <laughs> like, let's go. We wanted it to be your choice, but we see you're not going to make the choice. Life is funny like that. Yeah. Really yeah. yeah. What type of training and education is needed to become a doula? So that's a really good question because there's a lot of different kind of schools of thought on that. Traditionally, like if we were not in 2023, right, like a person would just kind of be in a community, know some things about birth and they would just kind of be called, right? Or like they might have even, they might have an apprenticeship, but usually it was just kind of a calling that you just be with your community in this time and welcome new life. Um, and so there's a lot of people who still follow that school of thought. They think, mm-hmm. or they feel, um, you know, that like, that being a doula is a calling, not necessarily a profession. And so when you're called, you have intuition and you have knowledge and you're kind of spiritually pulled this way. And maybe you do your own research, right? And then there's other people who are a lot more clinical because it's the world that we live in, the society right. that we live in. So um, there's really big um, organizations and institutions. Um, some might have heard of DONA, which is like, um, it's like an international doula accrediting agency, I guess. I just read about them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people who are a little bit more clinical might go to like DONA or Doula International and get certified. And then there's also independent doula certification. Um, you can self-certify. It's really interesting, which means huh. that you can say, you know, I self-studied and I am equipped to support a person in pregnancy and birth and postpartum. And the people who are drawn to that will come to you for that. But the people who maybe are looking for a more substantial like certificate or paper will come to you for that, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I kind of it's really interesting because it's such a vague answer. Yeah. But. yeah. <laughs> no, it makes sense, though, because all sorts of different women use doulas and right. they need different things depending right. on their life and their circumstances and their right. beliefs. Like I've had people, most of the people who come to me are folks who are, I mean, speaking because of 
like frankly speaking, because of the demographic I work with, are scared of medical in- institutions and don't mm-hmm. trust them because they've been, you know, historically abusive to marginalized communities. And so I've got folks who are like, I literally could care less if you're certified. I like, in fact, I feel better if you're not, you know? <laughs> and then I've like, you know, yeah. interviewed with public health officials who are like, no, but that's really important to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so. I I do like the the I would say that from my own personal experience I guess to answer your question mm-hmm. is that I would just hope that you would be like culturally competent I would just hope that you would have some knowledge of things to look like you know when we talk about postpartum mood disorders and anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and then some medical knowledge that tells you or intuition that tells you like if um, a birthing a pregnant parent comes to you and says, you know, it's interesting that my blood pressures have been really high and I'm feeling like, you know, really lethargic and I'm having a lot of swelling, but I talked to my doctor or my OB and, and they don't seem concerned. Well, as your doula, I would say we need to get a second opinion because that sounds like preeclampsia, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, and that's mm-hmm. like a life threatening. Yeah. <laughs> I know Um, I had that problem. My OB monitored me pretty heavily the second half of my pregnancy mm -hmm. because my blood pressure was just super high. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't have a lot of swelling and stuff. And like, I was fine. Right, right. (laughs) But like she did. She was like, nope, we got to we got to keep an eye on this because that's a bad sign. (laughs) Right. We're not going to just let this go. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my hope, I guess, is that if a person is interested in becoming a doula, that they at least know those things you know I feel like you have to have a really strong voice because some of the people you work with don't yeah or they were never allowed to right yeah yeah I think there's a balance Mm -hmm. in my practice my goal is always to empower parents so I always talk like you know when we're going over like what it looks like for me to support a parent I always say like I'll never speak for you uh, unless in those space, you know, there's something happening and and I'll ask, like, I'll just be like, all right, like, can I say this or whatever, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. Like, even in um, in the interpersonal relationship, I think it's really important for us to develop trust so that when I say to a client, like, you know, like, this is what I'm thinking, that they trust me and that they still can make their own decision about their care and about their choices, right? But like, again, like if we're coming up on that, like, I think we need to get a second opinion. And I feel very strongly about that, that they know, like, Ashley doesn't impose her opinion on me. So maybe, (laughs) maybe we should get a second opinion Uh because she's saying this for a reason, you know? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But my goal is to always empower people to ask the questions to speak for themselves to make their own decisions and to even like assert themselves especially in their medical care because we're taught that doctors know everything right we don't know anything about ourselves because we didn't go to medical school right so (laughs) but we're the best ones to know what our bodies are saying to us yeah we we live in this right Right, exactly (laughs) yep no one knows what normal feels like for you better than you do right Mm -hmm. right and I think that's so important especially in pregnancy because it varies from person to person experience to experience baby to baby you know it's Mm -hmm. all so different and so yeah my hope is if I have a strong voice 
um it's there to uplift like the voice of my my clients and their families do you do you find it difficult to work with hospital staff like they are they respectful of your presence there or are they somewhat combative <laughs> does it I depend on the hospital there. right it does <laughs> depend definitely on the hospital I think that we're getting there. I think that uh, since we're having a lot more conversations globally about what a doula does, why a doula might be in the room, why, like, say I walk in with a black family, right? Like, why me as a black woman will be there? Like, I think that we're getting to places where, you know, people are really starting to respect the work that a doula does. And so I'm grateful because we're having a lot of conversations globally, but nationally specifically on like, you know, like these issues, implicit bias, Mm -hmm. all of these things and like what a doula is there to do. But I Mm -hmm. have walked into hospitals where, you know, staff are like, what are you doing here? What do you mean you're going to pause, you know, the room and ask her what she chooses? Like, no, I told her this and this is what needs to happen. I'm like, hmm. (laughs) actually (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know yeah (laughs) but we're coming leaps and bounds like inner mountain you know like i see the university of utah the two biggest health systems here in utah have declared that doulas are actually a part of the birth team and so they did that during covid so when you know people were kind of having to make decisions about who was going to be in their birthing Mm -hmm. space Mm -hmm. um IHC and the University of Utah did it first I will say that (laughs) and then IHC eventually came along and they said well if you have a doula you don't even have to worry about that because we're including them as part of our birth team so you get however many people we're allowing you you know like on top of that so it's like the doula doesn't even have to be considered one of your visitors you know so like that felt really good that felt really triumphant to to say that you know we recognize that this person is a valuable part of your experience mm-hmm. and we don't want to bar them from the room because that was a really terrible time where people yeah. are like do I choose my doula or do I choose my partner do I choose my doula or my mother or like you know and like the whole point is to make it as less stressful as possible mm-hmm, exactly. and like that's what you're supposed to be there for right. and and to have them add that extra layer of stress and choice is right that's terrible <laughs> <laughs> i can't yeah. i'd be throwing stuff <laughs> yeah we actually saw a huge uptick in home birth and out of hospital birth where people kind of switched their care at the last minute because they said it's important that i have everybody in the room that i want in the room you know so that was also an interesting shift culturally I think yeah yeah Yeah. because I I know I was reading up a little bit and I um for a while it was only home births Mm -hmm. for the longest time for Mm -hmm. many many years and then um it started to switch to hospitals um for various reasons Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it was also still very divisive because it was only for people that could afford it right Mm -hmm. so you were still getting a lot of home births right so it's it's interesting to see it shift back again right yeah yeah Yeah. well and it's interesting to me because pregnancy (laughs) women and their health in general is something that hasn't been studied nearly enough Mm. um and in pregnancy in particular like 
there's some stuff that we know a lot about and there's other stuff that we don't. Mm -hmm. And every pregnancy is so different that like it makes sense to have so many different options because different people have different comfort levels and different people have different complications. Right. Some people can, you know, stay at home give birth to their child in like a little waiting pool Mm -hmm. and be fine and moving around Mm -hmm. and doing everything normal the next day. And other people have, you know, complications where they need emergency C-sections or things like that. And it's just so individual. And it's so interesting to see how we've like tried to standardize everything. And now we're going back to all the options. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to highlight that because, you know, I said my grandmother was a granny midwife. Right. So like, yes, in the American South, we know who she was, you know, like helping. Right. Which were largely poor black families having babies at home. Right. But Mm -hmm. also poor white families having babies at home. And then in the 40s, Uh, like American medical system essentially said we can monetize this birth is huge people are having babies left and right you know like some Mm -hmm. families in the double digits right (laughs) so we can monetize this and the people that we're going to criminalize first are the black southern rural midwives because what we want instead is for them to get certified, right? When we talk about certification. Mm-hmm. So why people have a mistrust of certification. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're going to say that if they, if we find out that they're catching babies without our supervision, then they can be imprisoned, right? Mm-hmm. And we know during that time what imprisonment meant for specifically black women, but black people, poor people in general, right? Mm-hmm. So they created this huge movement in the U.S. which criminalized and otherized home birth. Mm -hmm. And they took these um, midwives and made them come and get trained in like this kind of very different, like in, I guess, obstetrics, right? But a very different system than Mm -hmm. what they were used to because traditionally they were used to like a very natural um, like herbal plant medicine based um, idea, you know, and they had a lot of knowledge, right? But they were told that like, your knowledge doesn't count. And so we're going to make you be standardized, including down to their uniform, mm-hmm. like the white, like kind of nurses outfit right. that we see was yes. like that's yeah. like mm-hmm. where it started. And that's why hospital midwives now are, are, certified nurse midwives because mm-hmm. they're forced to go through not forced they choose now right right, right. They yeah. yes. through a nursing <laughs> um education in order to to become a midwife so the standard is saying that what you have the knowledge that you have is irrelevant because our knowledge didn't come first right and so it's really interesting, the shift, right? It because mm-hmm. people get scared about home birth when they hear about it. Mm-hmm. They get scared about even birth centers, which are a nice, mm-hmm. like, kind of middle ground. Yeah. They get really scared when they hear about it. And then sometimes we say, well, remember how <laughs> <laughs> your great, great, great grandmother right. or grandfather <laughs> got born at home or in the back of the house or somewhere. Right. <laughs> You know, sometimes you were in that tin tub, you know, or <laughs> yeah. you're, you're on the kitchen table because that's all we had. That's what mm-hmm. we had. Yeah. Yes. I do, I do want to highlight that there is a return, I think, to a certain kind of knowledge, but also like 
I just want to highlight the knowledge of our foremothers who were catching babies for centuries with incredible knowledge on medicines and procedures and like things to help even in emergency situations right Mm -hmm. like I love home birth because we get the opportunity to like I think highlight that knowledge a little bit Mm -hmm. um a little bit more like even when it comes to things like trigger warning like hemorrhage you know (laughs) like you know, yeah. like there's so many things that we know about hemorrhaging and how to stop it, you know, mm. that I think is important to highlight, too. I love that you said waiting pool. <laughs> I was just at a birth last week and this mom has a um, he's I think he's three, three year old. And she had, he was born in a hospital. So this was her first home birth. So he saw us inflate the pool the birthing (laughs) tub and he was like really excited like he was like i'm gonna go get my swimsuit on (laughs) i don't know why y'all are putting this inside but i'm here for it because it's cold outside so if we're gonna swim let's swim (laughs) 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 and then you know we were like you know you can't go in there that's for mom and so then he was like really determined to get his mom in the in the pool because <laughs> he was gonna live vicariously through her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. like, yeah. No, I thought of I thought of a waiting pool because that's what one of my friends did. Except she she like went into labor and she was in the pool like just kind mm. of chilling whatever. And like at the last minute she freaked out and she's like, I can't do this. Take me to the hospital. Oh, yeah. And like they got to the hospital just in time for her for to the give baby birth. to be born. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I kind of love those stories too, where it's like the nurses like come around and they're like, oh, I guess you got it. <laughs> <laughs> that peace of mind of kind of having mm-hmm. what's there if you need it, you know, is also mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Definitely. How many uh, parents do you normally work with at a time? And mm-hmm. is is there like a high and low during the year? Like, so. You know, we have this saying that like birth happens, right? So you like mm-hmm. when you're trying to plan, like I feel like babies just laugh and they're like, oh, that's funny. But you thought you were going to put me in your calendar. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> generally speaking, I, I kind of guesstimate around due dates. So my goal is to not take more like clients with a due date in the same month, like then two. So I will usually try to say, okay, like, and all, you know, you factor in all of these things. Like, is this a first time mom? You know, like what, what's their care looking like? Where are they delivering? Who's supporting them? But so generally if like I have um, a parent who's due date is at the beginning of the month, then I try to space that out so that the next parent I take for that month will either have their due date at the end sometimes the middle because we know that babies also like to be born with the lunar cycle so um and if it's a first time mom they Mm -hmm. might go over their due date so like you know you're just trying to factor in all of these things Mm -hmm. so two a month is my goal now mommy my mother used to always say I can't say the word that she would say, but that's what is, happens when you're making other plans. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And so I've had months, like, I remember specifically June of 
2021, there were six babies born that month. And that's because everybody did not go on their due date as planned, (laughs) right? And some came three weeks early, some came three weeks late. September 1st of that same year, I had three babies in one day. Oh, wow. Again, a situation where I'm like, I put you in my calendar. (laughs) What are you doing? I feel that. There is something going on in the ozone layer, Mm -hmm. something to like the pressure bringing these little ones. We also joke that like if there's a storm coming, we're like, Mm -hmm. oh, get ready. Because if you have anyone close to their date and this storm comes, they might go. Like, you know. Um, yeah. And what was the other, the other, Oh, are there times of the year that there are more, um, clients coming in or more people giving birth, things like that? Yeah. I think, um, I would say into summer and like, and fall because, you know, folks are, yeah. You know what? Like we all know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I guess it depends too. This winter's been wintering, so we'll see what, <laughs> what late summer looks like. We were joking a lot during um the onset of the pandemic, which is like, of course, not a funny thing, but birth workers were laughing because quarantine happened in March Mm -hmm. so we would joke like okay we'll see everybody in like December January (laughs) you know (laughs) that was really fun nothing else to do (laughs) I saw like so many midwives and birth workers like start to like post advertise so heavy around around then especially out of hospital like midwives like Mm -hmm. Like, well, we know what you're going to be doing in this winter. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, plan ahead. Right. And we're ready for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you stay in touch with any of the families you work with, like, after they're done being your clients? Yeah. Yeah. My hope is that um, we develop a friendship, which I think is really common because, you know, you have someone kind of in your most intimate space right Mm -hmm. and we're kind of tied for life you know there are some clients who are kind of like I got it I'm doing my own thing because I support in postpartum like I offer um, my basic I guess kind of package if you want to call offers postpartum visits and I can act as a postpartum doula for families as well but um, my hope is that by that time you know like even on our last visit that, you know, if you're my client, that you're my family. And mm-hmm. so people always joke. My ex used to joke like you're off like you're not you're done with the postpartum. Like, why are they still on your do not disturb bi- bypass? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I put my clients on the bypass so that they call me at 3 a.m. I know that that means it's go time. Right. But yeah. I forget to take them off. So like babies will be two years old and they text me like hey girl and it's like (laughs) ding and I'm like what's going on (laughs) so yeah my hope is that we you know I do almost everything with a village mentality and so I want to be part of your village and not just like the person you hired to support 
but hopefully I'm like your kids auntie, like I'm your kids TT, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, you know, that if you need me, I'm there no mm-hmm. matter what. Yeah. I love that. That's so important to, to know that even after the initial work is done, yeah, you're still available. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really fun because I get invited to so many things, like all of the birthdays. Yeah. Like family events. You are the auntie. (laughs) I am. I had a client. I'm like getting all teary eyed thinking of it. She just gave me um there's like a necklace that she had made and it's the where the planets were at the exact time and date of her daughter's birth. And I thought that is so beautiful that Mm -hmm. like that you feel loved by me so much that like you're including me in this like very intimate remembrance. You know what Aww. I mean? Like, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So in addition to being a doula, you also do a lot of advocacy work. Um, I try. <laughs> <laughs> why do you think it's important for women to be able to advocate for themselves, especially when it comes to their health and medical mm-hmm. events that happen? Yeah, I think like what we said earlier, right, like that we live in this body and it's absurd to think that anyone can make a choice about your body like without knowing you. So we have like the most insider knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so I think that especially, you know, when we think about historically how women have been silenced, how our bodies and our autonomy have been taken away from us and how we've been just kind of like, I guess, thought of as property in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, or accessories. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to be reminded and empowered that like, that is not what we are, right? We have choice, we have power, we have something to say um, about ourselves, but also about the society and the globe that we live in, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm always like kind of a kick the door down kind of person. I'm like, oh, no, you said I couldn't say something. I'm going to say it and I'm going to say it loud and I'm going to say it over and over and over again until I know that you hear me. Right. And I think that if we can just keep doing that, like I want us to do that because women are so smart right mm-hmm. we're so powerful you hear that carl <laughs> i just want to make sure i say it in the room no, <laughs> but we're so smart we're so mm-hmm. creative we're so powerful and i think about this idea of like subjugating a whole sector of our population globally right like mm-hmm. think about all of the beautiful things that we're missing out on when we do that mm-hmm. you know Like we have contributed so much to this world. Oftentimes we don't even get credit for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to remind the world. But also I think it's really important when we're, um, I don't even want to say aloud, but when we take the space to remind folks of our own choices and our own autonomy, it's very important because like one of my favorite writers says, like, if you're silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you liked it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we see that with the mortality rates. Mm-hmm. Right. We see that like what's consistently going on when women say there is something wrong. I need you to listen to me. And then they're not listened to. Then we lose people and we lose people who were like, I mean, everybody is so valuable. Right. So yeah. 
we lose a valuable person Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we i don't think we can we're not gonna survive if we keep doing that so i say yell i say (laughs) stand your ground i say write it out i say ask questions make people explain things to you i say if even if you can google something yourself remind your care providers that their whole job is literally there to not only you know perform labs and tests and x-rays and all of that but like to also counsel right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. answer questions and help you understand um maybe the things about your body that you might feel but may not have words to right so yeah I hope that answered the question. That was kind of long. (laughs) No, no, it's great. Um, It's one of the things I always say that what drew me to poetry, um, Mm. it finally, I finally gave myself permission to speak. And I feel like whenever we do that, we also allow other people permission to speak. Right. Because that vulnerability is so powerful. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. I have a friend who says, she says, like, the two most powerful words in the human language are me, too. And so if we get enough people saying, like, hmm, that's interesting. Am I pregnancy? Like, I might have felt that same thing, you know, or now that person knows that um, or the next person knows, right, that, like, that could be a thing to look out for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've seen this happen with the specific topic of like, you can decline to be weighed at your doctor's appointments mm-hmm. because, you know, there's so much that comes with like fat phobia and stuff yes. like that, right? Mm-hmm. But people like literally didn't know that. They didn't mm-hmm. know that you have a choice and especially pregnant people mm-hmm. didn't know that you have a choice. You're just told, you know, shuffle you in the office, you stand on the scale, we tell you what we want to tell you about your weight and how that's affecting you. And it may or may not be true. Right. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Cause I was today years old when I yeah. just learned <laughs> that I could tell them, no, thank you. You can um, tell them, no, thank you. <laughs> you can also tell someone if you say, Oh, you know, I have a sore throat and it's been bothering me. And they mm-hmm. say, um, mm, it's allergy season. You know, you're probably just dealing with allergies and you're like, "Eh, I think it's a little bit more than that. Can you treat me for the sore throat or can you do more labs to see if this is like an infection? And they say, I don't think it's anything serious. So we're going to pass on that for now. Tell them, "Okay, I understand that you're denying me care. You're denying me treatment. Please chart that. I say this as many times as I can because it's really important when you're being kind of silenced in your health care. Please chart that. Mm-hmm. Note that you, I asked for specific care and you denied it to me. And I guarantee you 95% of the time that care provider will say, well, let's run a test and let's see <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. what the sore throat's uh-huh. about. Uh-huh. Or here's some, like, it could be this, here's an antibiotic or whatever, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. really important too. <laughs> like I tell my clients that all of the time because the people that I work with are denied care mm-hmm. a lot and denied treatment a lot because we, we're told that we don't know anything about our bodies. Well, and it's so important, I think, for people, particularly women and people of color, to recognize the implicit biases mm-hmm. in the system. Like healthcare, a lot of what we know is based around 
how white men Mm -hmm. react to treatment, Mm -hmm. not how women react to treatment, whether they're Mm -hmm. white women or Mm -hmm. women of color. Mm -hmm. And it's important to understand that there are differences in the way people react. Like I remember when the COVID vaccine came out, one of the things that appeared as tons of people started getting vaccinated is that actually it messes with a lot of women's menstrual cycles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they didn't realize that because they didn't monitor for that in the vaccine testing. Right. So, yeah, it's very true. And it's also I think it's important to like when we talk about specifically like gynecological care, right? Like J. Marion Sims is like the godfather of gynecology, right? But he was also a slave owning racist, right? Mm-hmm. Who bought and rented enslaved women from plantations mm-hmm. and operated and experimented on them without anesthesia. Mm-hmm. And like there's three, Anna Betsy and Lucy, who we know about, but mm-hmm. in his own records, he records that there were many women who died on that table before Anarcha Betsy and Lucy came to him or he took them rather and yeah. like they are recorded because they survived and his experiments worked eventually. But like, and we think about that, right? Like the foundation of gynecology is the experiments that were like performed on these women, but then who has the least access to care, to mm-hmm. health care, to medical care, to mental health care, you know? These mm-hmm. same women. These same women, like mm-hmm. they're very mm-hmm. descendants, right? Mm-hmm are have like no access to the resources that they need and are still probably going into hospitals scared that they may or may not make it out you know mm-hmm. that's that's terrifying and no one should be scared to ask for help right uh-huh. right they just shouldn't yeah yeah right we kind of already answered this next question but i am going to mention that we have a book in our collection called The Woman Who Caught Babies, A Story of African-American Midwives, um, that is a really amazing book and is totally worth checking out and reading. Is there anything else you wanted to add about kind of the history of midwives in the Black community? Um, No, I just think that in my journey as a doula, but also now as I say a rising midwife, you know, because I believe it. (laughs) It's my calling that I'm kind of stepping into. Um, I just want to uplift like the knowledge that like these women had. Right. Like I think about uh, uh, people who were kind of forced to make do with what they had and take again, like we were talking about this, right. Take their health care, their birth care, all of that into their own hands and did a wonderful job of it. Mm-hmm. A wonderful job of it. When I think about um some of the studies that are like the information that came from, you know, back in the day when they were starting to kind of institutionalize birth care, you know, like some of these women had been midwives for 30 years and had never lost a baby, had wow. never lost wow. a mom. And we're talking about people who did not have like the things that hospitals have. Right. Mm-hmm. So I really want to uplift in that knowledge and that like also that we've always been taking care of ourselves, even in spite of when the system has failed us. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think I get really excited when I hear about, you know, folks who are choosing home birth or birth center birth or even who are saying, you know, 
in a hospital, maybe that choice that is standard hospital care doesn't work for me. I get really excited about that because it (laughs) makes me tingle like, oh, there's something (laughs) in your intuition saying Mm -hmm. that you remember, right? right? Mm -hmm. You remember the things that have been passed down through your cells, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. from your people before. And that's like across the board, right? That's like indigenous folks, that's black folks, that's um black and brown people that's also white people like before colonialism even you know white folks have an indigenous knowledge and so it always feels good to me when people like pause a little bit more and and start to question like is this standard of care does it work for me and if it does that's great that's powerful that you even paused and and said no actually that choice does work for me and if it doesn't that's also great because now you're understanding that there all are alternatives but the power is in the choice right mm-hmm. and the power is in the education that these are all available to you the right. whole like what did they used to say to us when we were kids like the world is your oyster like mm-hmm. literally yeah. and it's mm-hmm. still true and i just want us to remember that so especially for my black, brown and indigenous folks, right? Mm-hmm. That we know how to take care of ourselves. We know how to bring our babies. Mm-hmm. We've done it. Mm-hmm. You know, our babies are wise too. They know how to work with us and come earthside. And so I think it's really important that just a reminder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was excited um, about that uh, story about the, the catching babies. Mm-hmm. Um just because I feel like stories are so important and that's that's how we learn history and that's how we survive the present mm-hmm. and, you know, we prepare for the future. Right. It's through our stories. Through our stories. Yeah. 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 Like being recorded, right, is mm-hmm. so powerful. And I think I, I see that even with like myself and the power of like social media, the idea like that. I'm able to say like, I was here, like, and not only was I here, I was doing stuff, you know, like, (laughs) and I had things to say and I had insightful thoughts and, you know, and experiences. And I also just wanted to like, kind of give a cue about the term catching babies. Mm -hmm. I love it because it implies, right, that like as a midwife, you're literally there to aid the process. Like you're there to catch the baby if for some reason mom, dad, whoever doesn't want to catch, you know, like, right. like you're there. Mm-hmm. The baby's going to get born. Mm-hmm. The baby's going to get born. And all you're there to do is to hold and welcome them into this new iteration of their life, this new transition, right? And so I really love just to like, I guess pinpoint that term yeah that we don't we don't get babies born mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's wild that was when that book crossed my desk that was the first time I heard that term mm. and I was like hey what is this <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I like that I love it <laughs> yeah. right uh-huh. this like intuitive like mm-hmm. nature that I'm literally just here to welcome you little one like yeah you, your mom, your family, you got this. I'm here just to help. Yeah. Literally, that's what we seek throughout our life. Mm-hmm. We walk into so many open places mm-hmm. and we look for that welcoming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It's great. I love like it. Somebody just catch me. Hold your hands right? out, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hold your arms out and let me come to you. Exactly. It's, it's actually one of the things that I really love about kind of our modern age is like in the past, your community could only involve people like geographically mm-hmm. close to you mm-hmm. because that's who you could access. Mm-hmm. But now with the technology we have, your community can include people oh. from all over the world. Literally. It's Everywhere. so great. I love like on... Um, for those, I guess, who don't know, there's, like, black Twitter, right? <laughs> like, Twitter. Oh, I know. It's just Twitter, but it's, like, yeah. the black users, right? But every year, I love the thread that comes where they're, like, someone will post, like, y'all better show us our nieces and nephews, like, you know, their back-to-school pictures and their outfits, you know? Yeah. And it's so cute because it's, like, these are people who never sat together, like, right? They never yeah. have had a meal together. They don't know each other. They probably don't ever even talk directly on the Internet. Right. But this like idea that you have a global community who cares, Mm -hmm. like who's not even just like cares about what you have to say. Right. But who cares to see that your family and your little ones are thriving. They celebrate with you. They celebrate Mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. And I love it. So, yeah, I really love this idea of like this digital, this digital community. Mm -hmm. Our next question is about why is it important to celebrate Women's History Month? Mm. But I feel like you've summed that up in such a great way. Thank you. Like, we recognize all those women that came before us and all the things they survived or didn't survive. Mm -hmm. And then the women that are here now that we celebrate and uplift, and then all those women that we're welcoming. And I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I feel like you summed it up like, this is why it's so important. It's for, like, the past, the present, and the future. Because it should be about all of them. I feel like sometimes Women's History Month, people are like, there's all the women that came before us. And it's like, but there's also all the women here and all the women that are coming Mm -hmm. next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You said it more beautiful than I did, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah. Let's record us. You know, we're here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is, this is going to be the last question. Okay. Um, <laughs> make it a good one. No, I'm just kidding. They've all been, <laughs> yeah, they've all been great. So we just wanted to ask you to share if there's any women that are currently living that you just really admire and you want our listeners to know about. Ooh. That's such a good question. Shout out time. Shout out time. Okay. So in a big way, right? Like when I zoom out the focus. Um. And I suppose you could include recently deceased because there are a number of really great women yeah. that are recently deceased recently as well. Deceased, but- <laughs> right. Yeah. I think, oh, well, it's so funny because the first person that's coming to mind um, right now is Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. right, out of Georgia, who is combating um, just kind of the racism in the, in the electoral politics and voter registration. Um, So, yes, it's (laughs) like you doing your work. I know you're tired, but if you're a person who enjoys voting and wants to vote, it's really important that you look into the work that she's doing in the American South, which honestly echoes out here in very conservative Utah, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes it does. um, Trisha Hershey, who um, just wrote a manifesto. The Nat Ministry is her calling, and it's started out as um like kind of like performance art and art and not a performance art when she would not call it performance art but i guess like an art installation all about using rest as resistance so like mm. um 
um, resisting kind of like the toxicity of capitalism through um, owning and claiming your rest. She's Mm -hmm. amazing and has helped me in so many ways. Um, So she just released her book. Um, hmm, Let's see. Locally, I know so many amazing women. Um, if you are a person who's looking for an in-hospital midwife who does culturally competent, empowering care, we have a few. There's Jalon Fall working out of IHC and the University of Utah. Um, Christy Creal um, also working out of, uh, I think she actually just works for the University of Utah. Um, Dr. Adebayo, who is um, a maternal fetal medicine. So he's a a doctor that you would go to if you're high-risk pregnancy or high-risk birth. Amazing highlights, again, like the autonomy of women and your choices. Um, All of those people are Black um, clinicians, and so I'm really happy to say that. Um, I know he's not a woman. I guess I I just wanted to say that he's there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, let's see, my homies, um, Nishida Cottle, who is an amazing birth worker, um, um, doula, caretaker, artist, herbalist, um, Candida Duran Taveros, who, um, does amazing work as well as, as a birth worker, advocate, activist, my preceptor, Gloria Moore, who I love dearly. Um, and she's with birth midwifery, birth spelled like B and earth, um, and just an amazing person. I don't know, like you guys, all of you here are amazing. I, it's such a hard question to answer because I'm like every, oh, can I say one more? Um, sorry. Um, Elizabeth Page White, who is on the East coast right now. Um, fronting up, um, she's a lawyer working under attorney Crump, the foremost civil rights lawyer right now. So she's, um, on the Tyree Nichols case. She's worked with Brianna Taylor's family. Um, and she's just day in, day out, 24 seven. That girl is tired, um, working with these families to get justice for those who were, you know, killed by racism or police brutality. So. I just wanted to shout her out because she's doing a lot of good work. I, I could go on and on, so I'll stop there. <laughs> See, everybody, amazing people, amazing women. Mm. Yes. Yeah. We're here. We are. <laughs> oh, wait, one more. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. Okay. So, <laughs> Alicia Dersa, uh, I think I said her last name right. Um, CEO, founder of Curly Me SLC, mm-hmm. which She's we actually had on yes. last yes. month. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the homie. <laughs> Ashley Cleveland, um, working out of the mayor's office right now. I believe she's the head of community engagement, I believe. But she is also, if I can, if I'm saying it right, I believe the only black, um, oh, what's, what are they called? City planner. Mm. Um, or like one of three, I think, in Utah's history and oh, all of wow. Utah's history since the state has been founded. Um, and the first black woman city planner for Salt Lake City, Utah. So I just wanted to highlight her, too. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. But I'm done now for real, for real. <laughs> I love my friends. <laughs> All right, Ashley, do you want to tell the people where they can find you? Yeah. So you can either find me on my personal page, which is a hodgepodge of everything. Um, and that's find a Finley um, on Instagram, or you can find me at sacred sister doula um, on Instagram, sacred sister doula.com um, or Ashley Finley on Facebook. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much thank for coming you. today. I appreciate y'all so much. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. Definitely enjoy this conversation. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Like I hope it turned out good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tim will make it pretty. <laughs> it was amazing anyway. So yeah, it was. It was. Um, and thank you everyone who's listening for joining us today. Hopefully you learned a lot. Um, we have more episodes if you haven't listened to them. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, next month, we will be talking about Poetry Month. Yeah, my jam. <laughs> <laughs> and we will have a number of poets with us. So should be super fun. Um, we would love to hear from you. If you have any comments, any questions for us, feel free to email us at shelvespodcast at slcolibrary.org. If you want to learn more about Ashley, go to her Instagram or her <laughs> website. And we will talk to you all next month. All right. Yay. Bye. Bye. Bye.